my life so hard. Yeah, it sounds tough. Maybe you should get a whole different computer for podcasting. Maybe that would be a solution. Yeah, maybe my keyboard on this one, it, you know, it's I've had the computer for like three months, so you know the keyboard's starting to go bad. The the G oh. and D keys now don't don't work. This is the a MacBook Pro, a top of the line new Apple computer. This product. is a thirty five hundred dollar laptop <laughs> that I got in uh, like August or September of last year. Yeah, not great. And I use external keyboards like eighty percent of the time. So it's not even like I've been pounding away on this on the laptop's keyboard. Like I rarely touch it, but like there, yeah. I just look at it and it and like it breaks. <laughs> I've heard so many horror stories. I've been mercifully spared from the keyboard horror stories, but I have heard so many oh, it's, just it's, awful. It's so bad. I do not know how Apple shipped this. I mean, maybe they tested in pure white rooms with no with no dust. They're testing them in clean rooms. I, I, <laughs> I that, that's like the only possible explanation. Yeah, man. I don't know. Not great. I, I do have one question though, which is semi related. Which okay. is every single one of this generation of laptop that I've seen in the wild is a space gray one. Has anybody bought a silver one? <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I don't think I've seen a silver one either. Is it because the silver one looks like the old model, so you wouldn't notice it? I but I feel like the back is different. Like, the, the little apple doesn't light up anymore, and the touch bar seems obvious. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think I the space gray just looks better, I think. It looks so much better. It looks so good. Yeah. If only it worked. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the space gray isn't the same color as the iMac Pro. It, it is not. I'm asking. I don't know. Oh, I have no idea. I think the iMac. I don't know. I don't know. Is it the same as the like? Um, where's my my iPhone? Um, my iPhone X10 here. Uh, this is definitely a different. It's very different, which I guess yeah, makes the, sense since the phone is not aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. So, yeah, so now I have aliased uh, GGIT to just get in my shell because sometimes when I hit the G key, I get two Gs and sometimes one and sometimes zero. And now the same thing is happening with the B key. Like, Well, you should also alias IT just in case the G key doesn't work. Oh, that is true. Um, You should think about that. More Usually it gives me two instead of one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It really is just, I... That's really too bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what I think about mine. I mean, it it, it mine mercifully, has, like I said, has been working. Um, I kind of wish I stuck with thirteen inches. I feel like fifteen is just too many inches. Uh-huh. I, I love my fifteen inch. I think it's a good. Yeah. I'm, I'm not using. I'm like just doing doing stuff on a thirteen inch laptop. Just seems so. It's too cramped. That's true. And this is your primary computer, right? Oh, yeah. This is my, like my computer. I connect yeah. it to monitors at home and at work at, to like work on it. But I mean, if I'm taking it places and, and working, like I'm working on the 15 inch screen. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, mine is like more of a secondary computer because I, I have an iMac in, my, uh, in the house. I see. So, and actually, the iMac from 2012 is so fast that this MacBook Pro. This like new space gray, whatever, has finally caught up to it in speed. Nice. 
from 2016. No, the IMAX so. are really good. I yeah, my, my good. thing is like I I got so tired of trying to like you know I get like I change a keyboard shortcut on one thing and then I go to yeah. use it on the other and it's not in sync and I have to like keep files in sync and I'm just like I'm I, it was I, I it's too much effort. Yeah, that's not great. No, no, not I want great. one. Um, yeah, one one system to maintain. Yeah, that and you know like four servers for personal you know for various right, projects, but like. <laughs> Those those don't change as often. Speaking of servers, Ooh. my server is all set up. Awesome. That That's good. You got it locked down? Yeah, everything is locked down as far as I know. I'm still not doing SSH login. Uh, uh, you mean pub- just, public key only login? That is what I mean, yes. Public key, like like a full like yeah. 128-bit key or whatever. I'm still not doing that. I probably should, but I've been lazy. And then the other thing I realized is I don't have HTTPS set up. So I got to figure oh. out remind myself how to do that so that's also on the on the list are you using uh, are using uh, let's encrypt for s for um for https or something else i'm not using anything okay i forget how i did it on my old server i'm pretty sure i did do it but i forgot how i did it i don't know if i did it if i paid for one or what but i did something i've been meaning to write a guide to uh like setting up um, let's encrypt plus like nginx on a on a server um, Let's Encrypt is the free one, right? Yeah. Where you just, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and it works really well. I got an email today, actually, that uh, two of my certificates had been renewed and nice. were installed. And I went to look at the website and it was a new certificate that was there. Didn't have to do anything. That's pretty incredible. It is pretty nice. Like, it, it's it's still kind of finicky to get it working. But um, and maybe I'll try and write this blog post even before this episode comes out, in which case I will put it in the show notes. That probably <laughs> will not happen. But um, it, it, it when when you get it working, it like it really is. Um, it, it's slick. That is pretty tight. Yeah, I definitely have to do that because I don't want Comcast inserting any whatevers into my page. No. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, pop the stack a little bit. You've got um, uh, honestly, you you have disabled root login for SSH, right? Yes. Although I don't understand how that's how that makes anything different. Well, except that they have to guess your username and your password, right? And but isn't that the same as just guessing a longer password? Kind of, yeah. Except that I think most of the like the sort of like dragnet brute force attacks are just like looking for like root plus random like just yeah, fairly easy out. passwords. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that anyone is running a bot that like uh, is guessing usernames. Although I'm sure you know, I'm sure that exists. Uh, but yeah. you are also running uh, fail to ban, right? I am running fail to ban, and I'm running it slightly differently than the recommended settings. Okay. The way I set it up was if you log in, if you try to log in 100 times and it fails, then you're banned for 10 days. Oh, whoa. Usually it's because, like if you try to log in like six times, you're banned for a much shorter period of time, right? Right. And the reason I have it set up that way is because I could imagine myself accidentally typoing six times probably won't happen but i could imagine it i cannot imagine myself typoing a hundred times by typoing you mean copying pasting a password from your password manager yes or maybe you copied the wrong one like i copied the root password instead of the like ssh user password or something like that i could imagine it happening six uh, six times i can't imagine screwing that up a hundred times so I, I'll, I'll never hit the lockout because a hundred times of, of, of you know mistyping a password yeah. would be pretty rare. But then when that does happen, that means it is a brute force attack, and I could just lock him out for a very long time. Yeah, that so, totally makes sense. And I, I kind of calculated like how many brute force attempts someone would get with both schemes, and you end up with a lot more 
um, you end up with a lot more uh, opportunities to guess a password over the course of 10 days if you do it where it's like you typo for six – if you type the password in incorrectly six times and it blocks you for five minutes. Okay. So that's what I ended up doing. Nice. Well, that's pretty interesting. Probably uh, that sounds like a pretty good setup. I <laughs> that have to probably will be, work. <laughs> I, I have to imagine you'll be you'll be pretty good here. Oh, and it's supposed to email me. Although I need to test that because I installed SendMail or whatever, and I couldn't really get it to work. So I need to like double check that. Okay. Yeah. I I usually have installed um, a Postfix on my on my servers, and uh, you tweak it so that it only accepts like connections from from the local host, and mm, then sure, sure. it'll send mail, uh, and that nice. that works pretty well. Yeah. And the other thing I'm really happy about is I made an image, so if I do get hacked again, I can just deploy that image instead of having to go through all this rigmarole again. That's nice. So I'm very excited about that as well. Cool. 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 Yeah. So if you go to my blog, if you've tried to like hit the tag pages or you've noticed like something's weird about about some stuff, um, that was a problem from the last few months and now it is should be resolved and blog awesome. should be fully back to normal. Oh, the other cool thing I did is I made it so when I get pushed to it, it, it runs Jekyll. So I don't actually have to render it on my side. I can just push the raw changes to okay. the markdown files and it will render it for me. That is nice. I've been, I've yeah. been doing just a like render locally and rsync sort of workflow, but um, either yeah. way, like it works. That is nice to have set up on the server. Yeah, the, the reason I was excited about that was because it would mean I can use working copy on my phone to make quick edits. Yeah, and then just push the edits up. That is so nice. That's my that's yeah. my hope. Yeah. Um. Cool. What do we want to talk about that's on topic today? Uh, I'm open to a bunch of things. What do you feel like talking about? Um, we could finally do a bunch of, we could talk about Swift enums. Uh, we could talk about the Swift forums. The enum thing sounds like a pretty cool idea. Maybe we can talk about enums and the Swift evolution forum at the same time. Okay. And then, yeah, if that works for you. Yeah, that sounds great. So Swift forums, they announced this like, uh, ages ago, right? I don't even remember when. I, I think I was still an iOS developer then. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was it was more than a year ago. I think that's true, yeah. And I mean, I know that everyone on the team has a lot on their plate, uh, but I have uh, created my account on the new uh, like discourse-based forums and subscribed to notifications for a couple uh, of the like announcement areas. And uh, I haven't used it a lot beyond that, but I've got to say this looks really nice. Yeah, I am very much enjoying it. I also made my account and I actually made a topic as well, um, which went interestingly. Ooh. I don't know if you saw it. No, I didn't. You want to um, link me to that? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll throw it in uh, in the show notes and uh, Slack it over to you. Um, uh, I guess I should open these show notes and Slack on my computer, huh? I mean, either one. <laughs> um, so what, what essentially happened here was... Uh, one of the things that I think is a limitation of the kind of sequence and collection system in Swift is that some sequences are single pass only, which means if you run through them again, like if you if you iterate through them, you get the values. If you iterate through them again, you may get no values, you may get different values, or you may get the same values. Yeah. And so that makes writing some algorithms a little bit tougher. Um, so one example of an algorithm that you can imagine is, um, each pair. Uh, I talk about the each pair algorithm a lot, but basically like, um, if you had the, you know, numbers one, two, three, four in an array, the pairs would be one and two together, two and three together, and then three and four together. 
And it's a super useful algorithm for like if you have a bunch of, um, let's say a bunch of UI views and you want to install a constraint between them, mm-hmm. you can call like myViews.each pair and then it gives you two pairs together as a tuple and then you can install a constraint between those two. And then you don't have to do that like dance around, okay, well, let me get the index and then do index minus one to get the previous element. You don't have to do that anymore. It just kind of handles it for you. So when you write that algorithm for a multipass sequence, it's real easy. It's just a zip, um, and it's like a one-line thing. So it's really easy to write it for, for a multipass sequence. But because not all sequences are multipass, you have to basically, when you write this algorithm, handle the fact that sometimes they may be, there may be single-pass um, sequences. So the way you do that is you hold on to the first item, then you uh, uncue the second item, put them together, and then like iterate that. And mm-hmm. then get the third item, pair it with the second item, and so on. It's a little bit tougher to write. It's a little bit, it's a lot, it's a lot more code for, for sure. You could check in the thread if you want to see my implementations. And, and the reason that we have this single pass requirement, uh, when we're dealing with sequences is for like a vanishingly small number of edge cases. So one of them is random, randomly generated numbers or randomly generated anything. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Another one is sometimes people use sequences to read from, like, sources that uh, that are transient. So sure. if you read from the network, for example. So that's another case. And then there are some cases where uh, there's one particular case in the standard library where both the sequence and the iterator are the same object and it's a class. So when you get the iterator to iterate through it, and that's like mutating as you iterate through because the iterator is kind of a destructive cursor, you're also destroying the sequence at the same time, which I don't understand why that code is written that way, but it is. And so there's a couple of these edge cases, and they seem to me like not worth muddying the water of the the line that separates sequences and iterators in my mind, which is that sequences represent a series of things and iterators represent a destructive mutating cursor through that series of things. Sure. If you have something that's naturally destructive, it should just be an iterator. So if you have a a, a cryptographically secure random number generator, for example, you should be able to, um, as you DQ items off of that, if you can never get those items back, which means it couldn't be a sequence, then it should be an iterator. And that way we can maintain this really clear separation between these things are destroyed as you use them and these things are not destroyed as you use them. As you use them. Okay. Yeah, that seems like a, a useful distinction to capture just offhand. Yeah. Instead, the current setup is that you basically um, have iterators are always destructive and sequences are almost always not destructive, but in some very rare cases they are. And so when you write code that deals with sequences, you have to deal with the deal with the single pass, the potential single single pass ones that are out there, which is kind of frustrating. So I basically kind of pitched, I was like, hey, what if we just got rid of these? And it was not very well received at all. Uh, Yeah, what what we're talking have been like reading through the um, or not reading, I've been kind of skimming through, and it generally seems like people do not like this suggestion. No, they really don't, which I was a little bit surprised by, but I, I, you know, it's the community like, like that, that is a a thing that they, this is like kind of a place they, and it's also, you know, it's four years into the development of Swift publicly, uh, or like, you know, once it was announced and it's probably pretty late in the game to change this kind of thing. Um, even if it is a small change. So I respect that, but I, it seems like it seems like a good change to me, but a lot of people didn't agree, which is fine. Um, so that was my first thread on on the new Swift Evolution forums. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I'm coming at this without actually having read this thread since you just linked it to me. Um, one thing that stands out is someone in this thread pointed out that uh, I'm not sure which which side he's on, but um, as says the, the sequence protocol has a syntactic meaning that instances can be iterated with a for in loop. Yeah, that, okay, it looks like he, he's kind of agreeing with you, but this is a case that comes up in, in a few different APIs where like some like basically implementation detail ends up breaking an API contract, right? Like kind of in this case, the contract is that you can only assume that a sequence is ever iterable once. Okay. Yeah. And so if you want, are going to need to use the sequence more than once, you're responsible for, for implementing some sort of buffer. Right, exactly. You would basically, so the way like, let's say sort works Mm -hmm. is because you need to read items multiple times. The first thing it does is if it's not the right type to be mutated, which I think is a mutable collection, it will actually copy everything to an array first and then begin the sorting process. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's your responsibility. So another, a really good example people brought up in this thread was uh, Cartesian products where you would say, I have these two sequences, I have these two arrays and I want... I want a new array or whatever, a new something that represents each combination of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. So like if you imagine it being like a, like a big grid, like with, with the values of one array on the top and the values of the other array coming down the side, each of those little boxes would be one combination of those two arrays. And so the problem is that one of those, usually the way you write that is like nested for loops, right? And the problem is that inner for loop is going to require you to be multipass uh, and finite, but it requires you to be multipass. Mm-hmm. And if it's not multipass, then you know you'll iterate through the yeah. So you'll iterate through, and then you'll you'll just get like garbage values at a certain point. And so that's a really good example of something where you would have to copy if you're dealing with sequences. You would have to copy it all to uh, like an array, and then iterate over that array, which bears some cost, but. Uh, I think the randomness stuff is really important, and I do think some people are writing code. Like somebody mentioned packets, which I didn't really fully understand, but I think they're writing code that is like reading from the network using a sequence. Interesting, huh? Okay, that yeah. seems like I'm I'm curious why like a sequence is uh, like the best API to use for that. But um, I, I guess I could see that being useful. Yeah, I, I would model it as a stream or as as a signal or whatever, but. Yeah. yeah, like I don't feel like sequence is really a, a good general purpose like stream abstraction. But um, yeah, but either way, that is that is kind of where that where that topic landed. I'm gonna like I'm gonna try not to let this uh, sort of like dissuade me from posting more sure. in the future. But but yeah, this is my first my first thought. I've actually been waiting until the forms were rolled out to to actually write this. But yeah, so. So setting aside the like reception of the of this pitch, uh what how the experience using the forums was was positive, I assume? Generally positive. Discourse is very, very nice. They brought back all the archives so you can search through the archives, which is really nice. There's a lot of super good stuff there. The one thing I will say is because it's easier to post now, you, sometimes people get lost in little tangents. Um I, I've one, been noticing that skimming through your your conversation here too. Yeah, it's it's there's a really funny thread where basically someone wanted to add filter uh to optional, right? So you would basically return true or false and if it's false, 
the optional works transform to nil, and if not, the optional stays the value that it sure, is. Sure, yeah. Seems useful enough, right? But then they got onto this like like weird digression about like Wait, well, if we're like mammals with body hair and then, rats in this thread. Yeah, like if we're being pedantic, all mammals have body hair. And then there was like multiple posts about mammals and body hair and naked mole rats. And it was just like it was it was yeah, it was quite it was quite a tangent. And this um, kind of thing you think didn't happen so much on the mailing list because it um I don't know, seemed less like uh it, it was like a higher friction interaction. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um I think still worth it, still the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Um but Ultimately, with with forums like this, I think you need some level of moderation. I think that's something they're maybe still figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, some degree of some degree of tangents should be allowed. But this thread, this thread got really funny really fast. And it's it's you know, it's one of those things that if you've been on the internet for a while, you kind of like if you've seen these forums, they do devolve into like, yeah. Well, I think Hitler would have done this, and you're like, okay, well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean that's not to say like that can totally happen with email lists too. I mean, yeah, that's true. But other, I think that's the only real downside I see. Um, other than that, I think pretty good move. Discourse is really nice to use. Um, it's much easier to keep up with stuff. Yeah, easier to subscribe to things that you care about, but ignore things that you don't. Easier to skim. There's like markdown formatting for code. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, that that's really awesome. I I will yeah. uh I'll, I'll read through your pitch in and the conversation more detail and maybe we'll we'll talk about that more on an yeah, upcoming sure. show or or maybe not. At some point we had thought about doing a, a just a sequence and collection episode, I think, right? Did we never do that? I don't think we ever actually did it. Oh, we didn't. Huh. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good idea. We should do that in the future. I'll put that on the topic <laughs> ideas list here. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so Enomes. Uh, there have been a couple discussions on Swift Evolution about uh, enome-related things. Yeah, so there were two big ones, right? There was one was, should we allow non-exhaustive enomes? And then the other one was, um, should we allow like an all-values for e- for certain enums. Right, and these were proposals uh, 0192 and 194. We'll pop those in the show notes. Yeah. So maybe going in order, uh, there was a proposal uh, for non-exhausting, not non-exhaustive enums, which is basically uh, it's an enum that you're allowed to add cases to in future releases of your um, of your API, right? Right. So the whole problem here is essentially if let's say I'm writing code that links against some library, and the library has some subset of like some enum that has like three values in it and I make it an exhaustive switch statement that has those three values. And let's say with those three values in each case, I return something for my function. Right now, if that library changes and adds a fourth value and then my app gets linked to that new version of the library with the extra case, when my code hits that exhaustive enum that where each of those three branches were returning something, I still have to return something from that. I have to do something at that point. So my options are either crash, basically, or I have to have known ahead of time that, oh, there may be cases that were added to this, mm-hmm. um, to the, that, that will be added, sorry, to this enum. And I need to write a little bit of code to handle that situation. So that would be, it could look like, it could be like default. It could be like a future 
where you would just write a future colon and then handle the case of any enums that you haven't seen in the future that you haven't seen yet that sure. may come in the future. Yeah. And so you, you may just choose to fatal error at that point. Um, or hey, that's the name of the show. <laughs> uh, you could, or you could write code, let's say return empty string. Um, there are certain defaults that you could return or, or do something. Sure, you like pick something that makes sense in context. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what happens now if you're using a library in your application and the author wants to add like something to an enumeration? Like you just can't, uh, or, or you, you won't be able to compile your app against that newer version of the library, right? So right now, because Swift only supports static libraries, you don't really have to worry about it. Right. But, and so the only libraries that can change are AppKit and UIKit. And I think foundation basically mm-hmm. like those libraries may change as the phone gets updated. And if those happen to add a case, I think the Swift runtime has no choice, but to crash at that point. Is this really, this is really the case today with what happens in, um, in real Swift apps. Uh, Oh, sorry. There is actually one other option. It can return garbage memory. Oh, uh, that's like yeah. the least Swifty of these options. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yes, today if UIKit did add an extra case, something would happen. I guess that's true. Is this like, huh? I'm I'm skimming through the proposal again here. I don't know if it like discusses what happens. Um, I think I, I like think at this point now. it's undefined behavior. Yeah. Um, but I think the correct thing to do would be to crash unless this I think that's proposal the only, were implemented. Yeah, that's yeah. the only correct thing to do. So, so this. What they wanted to do was they wanted to make enums non-exhaustive by default, public enums non-exhaustive by default. Meaning that the enums your library exports, um, that clients who are using those would be required to have a like future or a default statement in addition to uh, all the case statements that handle each value of the enum that we know about now. Exactly. Right. Um, and then like if you wanted to opt out of that, you could add like at frozen or like at exhaustive mm-hmm. or something to mark your enum and saying this is never ever ever going to change right um so you can imagine like optional is an enum that is never ever going to change they're never going to add another case to optional there's like a um, quantum or schrodinger's cat joke here but sure yeah <laughs> yeah so they're they're never going to change that they can freeze that but then something like you know and like days of the week uh, assuming we're going kind of blah 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 uh, also never going to change. Sure. Um, Something like but, uh, um, if you had a color picker library, like you can easily imagine adding more colors that a user can pick, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example. And so for things like that, those things you would just leave as is, or you could add like non-exhaustive as a special keyword. Now, the interesting thing was that the feedback to this was very, very strong. Strong in which way? Mostly negative. Really? Yeah. Why? How? I think I think a lot of it stemmed from the 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 fact of there there was a couple of components. One component was the fact that it was non-exhaustive by default, and so I think people kind of were triggered and they were thinking about the like open versus closed classes, sure, final yeah. classes. I think they were kind of reminded of that situation, and so there was that component of it. There were also people who were saying like, "This is not going to like solve the problem of binary compatibility." So 
Okay. Let's just not do it at all. Essentially, was the argument, which I, I, I'm not giving it fair a fair shake because I don't agree with it. But essentially, the idea was like, if you're writing a library, like it's your responsibility to make sure that your library's behavior doesn't change, um, except on let's say, um, you know, major version updates. Assuming you're using okay, I mean, so sure, it's your responsibility. But what's the problem with putting in place tools to like to help you like? I am not sure. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, p- people... I, it's I think also your those... responsibility not to like dereference null pointers in C and <laughs> yet all software written in C is horrible. Like... Right, right. That's a perfect example. And like, I think you would want help from the compiler where you can get it. Um, and also, you know, most of the people who were talking about it were people who write apps that don't necessarily, they're not necessarily exporting modules for other people to use. So they wouldn't really have to worry too much about it. That's one thing that's striking me is this really only affects a small number of like of authors and a small like a, a relatively small number of lines of code. Like this affects people who are writing libraries that export public enums, which are fairly rare. Um, yeah, I mean they're there, but yeah, like it's not like there's not like millions and millions, you know. No, it's not a this. It doesn't seem like a change that touches and a huge number of like of lines of code. Yeah. So one thing that people recommended was why don't instead of we do instead of doing this, why don't we change the UI kit export layer and instead of exporting UI kits C enums as Swift enums, let's export them as Swift structs that are backed by let's say an integer. And then the only way that you can construct them are with static methods that have the same names as the enum cases that seems kind of ugly but you it would in practice it would look exactly the same except that you would no longer be able to exhaustively switch over it and so you it would be huh. it would force you to add a default case okay so this was a solution some people like but that solves it that that's not a general solution here yes but also the enum exhaustive enums isn't a general solution isn't a general solution still... for binary compatibility or for like well, this specific problem even this specific problem, because you could just put exhaustive and then change it in a future version. Sure, but I mean, you could. Uh, I, I mean, wrap optional. Yeah, yeah. Yes, at some point you can do something like stupid and ignore a warning. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I still um, think this is a good change, and I think the core team also thinks it's a good change. So I think it's one of those things that's going to happen no matter what. Okay. This is going to be one of the cases. I mean, this should surprise none of our listeners where I think this seems like a good change and um, think it should be accepted. Yeah, I agree. I like this change. I think it makes total sense. And I think, yeah, one of the other other criticisms was what are you going to put in that future case besides just crashing? Yeah, and I mean, yeah. But I think you should get the choice. There are definitely, and and I think there are definitely cases uh, where there there actually is a like sensible default or or it is yeah. a recoverable condition right or like you know you maybe you can turn that into an error and then bubble that up through the ui you could just i mean i don't know if this something. is ever something that should really hit the ui but i mean i'm sure there there's like there are cases where there's reasonable program behavior yeah yeah for sure and so i, I don't know to me it seems like a good change but a lot of people really did not like it. So that's really surprising. Um, I I don't know where. It, I guess it says return for revision. Review author. Here we go. So here's the link to like the kind of summary of the of the feedback. Okay. On, in terms of naming, most people seem to like frozen. Um, 
is a great soundtrack. I haven't seen that movie, but <laughs> <laughs> there were some good frozen puns in this thread. Actually, oh, that's good. I, I, shout out to shout out to Dave Zolong. I do. Not, I, I don't have time to to follow this stuff. I wish that I did, but I just don't have have time to follow Swift discussion or, or Swift evolution like discussions. Yeah, there, there's there's quite a bit about it. Well, that's why that's why you have me, and that's why people listen to the show. I know. I appreciate it. That's why I listen to the show. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess most of the feedback he took was, more seriously, this discussion has convinced me that it's worth including what the proposal discusses as a quote-unquote future case. Um, The key point that swayed me is that this can produce a warning when the switch is missing a case rather than an error. So they want to maybe use a warning instead of an error. I know people won't be 100% satisfied with this, but this seems like a reasonable compromise. And then he talks about the bike shedding about the name. I think Frozen is is a fine name for like you know, frozen enum. It's actually, I think that's more clear generally than exhaustive. Yeah. Right. And then I think like future is a good name for like the kit, the thing, but I think the names are pretty. So my, my one note, would you have a future in addition to a default case? Or if you have a future, does that mean that you don't have a default case as well? So if I'm understanding the problem, right, if you have, let's say there's three enum cases, right now and it's non-exhaustive it's non-frozen you would basically if you had if you had three items you would have a future but like if you had three items in your switch statement so if your switch statement was exhaustive you would still need a future but if your if your switch statement only had two things in it you would at least need a default and then i guess the 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 future part would be optional that that makes sense to me yeah i I think it would be odd to have a default and and future case but um I guess there are situations where you might want to do that. Yeah, I could imagine a situation, but definitely you don't need to have both. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. But I, I don't know. I haven't actually reviewed anything, but that's just kind of my intuition. That that really is it. my yeah. That's my my gut feeling. Yeah. Okay. So so are those the only revisions? The the future case and and some naming changes. I think so. Yeah. Cool. Uh, in that case, oh, oh, and this is a this proposal's from. We should, I guess, we should mention Jordan Rose at Apple, who's who's on the Swift team. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, he might be on the core team. I don't really. I can't remember who's on the core team and who's not. Yeah, I guess I'm not. I, I'm not totally sure who who's where, but um, I, I guess yeah. the, the the correct thing to say is that's a name which comes up in Swift discussions fairly often. Yeah, he yeah he he definitely does work on it, but he's not on the core team. The core team is. Ben Cohen, who's he's Airspeed Swift. Okay. Chris Latner, Dave Abrams, Doug Greger, Joe Groff, John McCall, and Ted Kremenek. Nice. Yeah. So that's this sort of exhaustive enum proposal. Okay. So kind of moving on, I, I guess from the uh, from proposal one ninety two onto proposal one ninety four, which is um, uh, it looks like this is a proposal from outside the Swift team. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, Brent Royal Gordon definitely is not on the Swift team. The other names I've seen a lot, but I don't know if they work okay. on Swift. I don't think they do. I would guess they would have Apple emails. Yeah, that's 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 a good indicator. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is this is a proposal for derived collection of enum cases, or like there's been so much discussion over the last several years over like having some way to get all cases of an enum. And yeah. That is something that is just useful i think we i hope we can all agree it's useful it's maybe not useful in all cases but like it is useful to be able to just get a list of like everything in an enum i have personally like uh needed this uh, albeit in python not in swift but i needed this for like something i was doing earlier this week and and it's tuesday so that's that's for something i was doing (laughs) yesterday (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I used to use sorcery to generate this stuff or like that case countable. Oh yeah. Shout out um, as always to sorcery, which is a really cool piece of software that helps, um, that has helped paper over a lot of things like this that are just really useful to have that Swift doesn't give you. Yeah, for sure. Um, th- there's also kind of a, a, another trick called case countable where you like, as long as the enum is int backed, you kind of start from zero and initialize, just try to initialize it and see what happens. Yeah, but until you get a nil. Uh, and such a hack. Works. Yeah, but I feel dirty and not all my enums are int backed. Yeah. Um it is definitely a hack. Uh but it works and I use it, so So I mean, sure, and I, I, you shouldn't you shouldn't not use it. It's possible to do it safely. It just feels dirty, yeah. but um, you it know, is. It is you have to iterate is. through all of them just to get them instead of just getting one static collection, which is what this proposal aims to fix. Right. So how does this proposal aim to fix it? Um, and I say this with a caveat that I have not read this proposal yet because, as mentioned, I don't have time. I wish I did. <laughs> uh, so the way that this works is this proposal suggests a protocol that they're calling value enumerable, which I'm sure everybody will bike shed to death. Oh, of course. Um but basically, if you conform to this protocol, the compiler derives uh, an all-values implementation for you, assuming that you have no associated values. Right? Because if you have associated right. values, it doesn't know what, it, what, what to put there. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. There's a world in which if that value is also value enumerable, it could also enumerate that one. But I don't think this proposal goes that far. Sure. So there's that. And then the other thing is, I think if your protocol does have associated values, you can provide your own all values implementation. And so you could just like provide those defaults yourself, which is pretty cool. That makes sense. Okay. So what value do we get from this being a protocol as opposed to just being a like static collection that is automatically added by the compiler to um, like to enums where, where it's possible to generate this? They basically so so they they do talk about that in the proposal. They basically want it to be opt in rather than just being on everything. Um, I don't, huh. yeah, I don't know if that's for like binary size reasons or something, but they want it to be opt in. Like, I mean, explicitly. I guess there are like surely there are enums where it doesn't make sense to be able to like to list all possible cases, but. Um, I really don't see where what that would hurt. I can like or binary yeah. size really a, that that big of a problem. I I made that up. I don't know if it's actually binary size. Okay. I just kind of threw something out. Um, and it's interesting because if you have a, an enum with no associated values, it's all it's automatically equatable, and you don't have to type like auto equatable or anything on it. Right, it just is equatable, um, and it conforms to the to the protocol automatically and everything. So, and it's not um, like, and there is precedent, right? And it's not like you're going to like, I just can't imagine a situation where like having a protocol, like where you're going to be using this, enum with the, like via the value enumerable protocol rather than like knowing what enum type you're dealing with. Yeah. You'll never, because, and you actually can't be just dealing with a value enumerable because the value enumerable has an associated type. Mm. And that associated type can be any collection. Right. So it's not just an array. It's like you have to provide the collection type. And so you wouldn't be able to to just hold on to a rare like a random value enumerable. Right. Yeah. So yeah. 
Okay. It's a good it's a good change. Everybody wants this. There's nobody that doesn't want this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess my only yeah, I mean, this seems like a really good change. I and I'm I'm clearly just nitpicking here. I just yeah. I mean, and I, I think that's what a lot of the thread was was like just nitpicking sure, and stuff. Sure. And I mean, I I just worry about the case where like it's um, you know, some library that's not frequently updated and you want to be able to enumerate all values of the like of the, of an enum in it. But uh, the library doesn't support it; hasn't opted in yet. And this, I think, this seems like something that you can't like retroactively impose on an enum from outside the same module, right? From a different module. That's a really good question. Actually, I, I wonder what they is that they covered in here that. at all. I don't think so. Um, I read it a few times, but I didn't see anything about that. Huh. So, so that's that's really my only my only concern. Like. Unlike the previous, um, the previous case where, uh, like it, it makes sense. It is something the library authors should should have to think about. I don't see that. Like, I'm not convinced this is something that requires a lot of attention on the part of library authors. And yeah, I agree. And you should just kind of be able to use it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really straightforward one. I think everybody wants this, and we can bike shed it to death. But like, this is happening, and yep. everybody wants it. Ship it. Yep. Cool. On That's that Enums note, and Swift Evolution. Yeah. And on, on that note, this is a little bit of a long episode. Which somehow we talked about like forums and, um, and, and Enums. I don't, we, we can talk for half an hour. It's about, that's right. We can talk for half an hour about anything. It's a, it's, it's a broadly, it's about Swift Evolution. Yeah. Stoked about Swift Evolution. What do you think about that for a title? Uh, we got, um, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about those, these punny titles. You know, like the new format? Oh, um, I think the format's good. I don't know about that. Whoa. Ecstatic about enums. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll do one I hear you just sighing over there. Just, oh, just, <laughs> oh, how do I deal with this? Um, <laughs> love you, Chris. Uh, love you, Suresh. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>